Hey there. How are y'all? All right. Well, good evening, folks. My name's Rick Howard. This is my wife, Michelle. Um, we will be celebrating our 27th anniversary this July. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we have three sons, Will, who is 22, Ryan, who is 20, and Ben, who is 19. And some 12 years ago, we shared our story for the first time here at Reengage as parents just starting the journey into teenage years with our oldest son, Will. Now we'd like to share with you the same principles and advice we've shared many times in the past, actually a half dozen, but this time we get to share it from the perspective of empty nesters. Um, It is everything you thought it will be one day. Uh, With a chance to reflect on how applying these ideas to our marriage and family was beneficial for us and our boys then and now. So we hope tonight you might take away a few practical lessons that will help you on your journey as a couple and as parents. As a starting point, though, we'd like to share a little of our own family histories to illustrate that nothing from your past really has the power to control your future or your family's future. My family story I found is really pretty common. I grew up in in what I would call an undivorced home. I'd say undivorced because that term best describes my parents' relationship. In spite of a lifetime attending church, my parents never pursued anything more than just a cultural marriage. My dad passed away last February after 63 years of marriage. But in my entire life, I never saw my parents celebrate or speak of their marriage in any way that was really memorable. My mom and dad were still married when he died because they never worked on their marriage. They never sought counsel from others to help improve it. They never strived to love each other selflessly as Christ loved the church, as Ephesians 5 describes. And frankly, they never tried to resolve all the conflicts they had built up over the years between them. My memories of their marriage are really one of just loneliness rather than oneness. As a result of my family history... What I brought into our marriage was an extreme case of what you could call do the opposite of what my parents did. Whether dealing with conflict or money or kids or a host of other issues, my instinct early in our marriage was to do the opposite of whatever my parents would have done. In hindsight, that's a pretty terrible strategy to to use for a healthy marriage. But back 27 years ago, I figured it beat my parents' model of doing nothing, so it had to be a good place to start. However, a couple of years into marriage, it became clear this was not a strategy to use if I wanted my marriage to honor God and to not repeat the mistakes of my parents. I love this picture on the screen because it depicts the craziness of life for us and the couples we've shared life with for the last 22 years. Kids are the center of the marriage and everything revolves around their needs, wants, and schedules. Parents lead lives separated by their kids as they indulge those wants and needs. As you've heard, our three sons are now much older when we first gave this talk in 2012. Ben, our youngest, is a freshman in Auburn. Ryan, our middle son, is a junior at Samford in Birmingham. And Will has graduated college and works in the banking industry in Birmingham as well. But 12 years ago, when this picture was taken, they filled our days and nights with activities. Sports, band, choir, small group, church activities, and a host of other good stuff competed with our family time as well as our time for a couple. On top of that, my schedule as a third grade teacher and Rick's work schedule as a lawyer made quality time difficult. Our journey from a child-centered marriage to a coupled-centered one is one that led us to be here tonight to talk to you about the former, to talk to you because the former was not what we wanted for our home to look like. As with Rick, my approach to this issue started with my parents' home. However, my home life growing up was the opposite of Rick's. While my family had its own challenges, my parents modeled for me how a husband and wife could be best friends. 
I did not grow up in a Christian home, but my parents loved each other in a way that I know honored God. One of my fondest childhood memories was each morning seeing my parents without fail sitting together, drinking coffee, and talking. They also regularly took trips without my brother and me and had date nights. Until the day my dad died in 2003, my parents were best friends. So the model I brought into marriage was the exact opposite of Rick's. Rick and I dated for about six months before getting engaged, and then we married six months later in July of 1996. He was 32 and I was 26, so we were not young. So we were not a young, naive couple that thought that thought married life would be one long honeymoon. We were blessed to be in a great church with an excellent pre-marriage ministry like Watermark's Merge Pre-Married Class. And we had a wise pastor who led our pre-marriage counseling. We felt prepared for marriage and went into it with realistic expectations of what it would be like. Early in marriage, time together was easy because it was just the two of us. We traveled a lot and we were free to do what we wanted to do as a couple because we had few commitments. So there was no formal need to plan a hanging out time. The one major obstacle to us spending time together was my chronic migraine headaches. When we were first married, I would have two to three migraines a week. They were often so severe that I would have to go to bed for the night, and that meant several nights a week we did not spend time together. So then four years into marriage, our oldest son, Will, was born in April of 2000. So other than chronic sleepiness from having a baby and Michelle's new role as a stay-home mom, the birth of our first child really did not affect our time together because Will was usually in bed early. Even when we added Ryan 23 months later, we were still able to carve out time together. Our boys were usually in bed by 8 p.m. most nights, and the interrupt, their interruptions were typically limited to eating and cleanup. But over the next few months, our lives would dramatically change as Michelle got pregnant yet again with our third son, Ben, and we could see from our friends with multiple babies how different life was going to be when we added just a third child in three years. And then... Um, 20 years ago uh, this month, in March of 2003, when Michelle was seven months pregnant with Ben, her dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. Three weeks later, he passed away, and suddenly our very orderly lives were rocked by his death. This was a tremendous shock for both of us because of Michelle's close relationship with her father and the suddenness of his death. You combine that with our new baby, Ben, coming two months later, and this was beginning, really, of the first challenging time we experienced in our marriage. After Ben was born in June of, 20, of 2003, Michelle battled postpartum issues along with the grief from the loss of her dad, and even to some extent the loss of her mom as she battled her own grief uh, over his death. Add to that the fact that we had three little kids, babies almost, that were only 37 months apart, that were demanding her time and her energy and her heart, and she was really reeling emotionally and physically. As a result of all this happening, our very easily arranged nights became a struggle to carve out time together. Our time became our kids' time. It seemed like all we did was care for kids, go to bed, get up, do it all over again. It had a feeling of the old movie Groundhog Day. And on top of that, Michelle's grief from the loss of her dad really lingered for a couple of years. And it was during this period, though, that our, our marriage was challenged more than any other before, and the absence of our time together was at the top of the list of those challenges. And we, frankly, had no plan for how to change this, and that left us really unsure of what our next step should be. I think back on those days, and even Rick just saying that, and I remember how hard and challenging they were for us. Rick and I struggled to communicate well and spend time together. For the first time, we saw just how difficult it could be to have a good marriage and how, how much hard work it took to stay connected. 
Many days by the time Rick came home, I felt like a pressure cooker just waiting for the release valve on top. Grief, migraines, and babies were all an emotional strain on me that could not, would not go away. But around this time in 2005, our community group decided to take a parenting class, and it was in this class that for the first time we heard the term couch time. The idea behind it was that the wife, not the kids, got the first quality interaction with dad when he came home from work. Practically speaking, what this meant was when Rick got home from work, he walked in the door, gave the boys a big hug, then he would immediately find me and engage with me for the first 15 minutes or so at home. As a stay-at-home mom, after my day of caring for young kids, it was so great to sit and talk with him, have adult conversation, tell him about my day, and reconnect with my best friend. It was also a reminder that aside from pointing them to Christ, the most important thing we could give our boys was the model for a strong marriage. For us, that 15 minutes of couch time was just a metaphor for time together that evolved into even more time after the boys were in bed around 8.30. We would spend the evening together, usually on the couch in our den. Sometimes we'd watch TV, discuss things that we needed to talk about for the day, or simply share what was on our hearts. The goal was to be together. We also learned from those conversations the importance of touch points throughout the day with phone calls or texts. What our boys took from this ritual was how important our marriage was to us. So important that our time together as a couple was a priority over them and everything else. So now fast forward um, to 2008, and as our boys got older, their world began to control our lives more and more, as all three of them, uh, and more and more, as all three of them were then playing sports and having other evening and weekend activities. Having grown up myself in a small town in an era where the sports you played were based on the seasons of the year, so football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring, the pace of a normal childhood in Dallas was really shocking to me. The friends we had with older kids said, you know, your boys have got to start playing sports when they're three or four years old, or they won't have any chance to be on a team later. They've also got to play multiple sports, even if they overlapped. And of course, this is the big one, you got to have private lessons and you got to be on a select team or your kid will never play high school or college sports. Guess what? Ours didn't, and they wouldn't have even if they had. Uh, On top of that, a a little over a year later, I made a huge job change as I left my law practice of 16 years and I joined Watermark staff leading our international ministry efforts. This was really a one-two punch uh, of a new stage of life for us and a job change that created big challenges to our daily couch time commitment because as we walked through the kids' activity minefield, we also encountered the challenges of transitioning from law to ministry. My job at Watermark was much harder than I expected, and my initial response to that challenge was a huge miss for my family. My tendency to work as much as needed to get the job done without regard to anything else kicked in. As a lawyer for 16 years, because I knew what I was doing, my work was at the office during the day. I knew how to be a lawyer, so work didn't usually follow me home. After joining Watermark staff as an international missions pastor, um, not knowing what I was doing, my normal day became heading to work at 6.30 in the morning, going home about six at night, giving Michelle and the boys a couple of very unpurposeful, uninterested hours, and then as soon as they went to bed, back out, the laptop came back out. When our oldest son was the only one playing sports, the impact of the boys' activities were manageable, but as we added Ryan and Ben's activities to the mix, life got really busy, as I talked about, and we decided if we let all three boys play multiple sports at the same time, our couch time was going to be submerged in a sea of practice and games, and kids' activities. 
alone time, family dinner, spontaneous funds, all the things that we love doing would all go out the window for months at a time if we embraced the culture that we were living in and the Dallas norm for kids this age. We recognized this was not the life we wanted, so in spite of what many around us were doing, we put limits on our boys' activities. Get this, one sport and one outside activity at a time. That was all they got. With three boys, guess what? We were going to be busy no matter what we did, but our decision to limit what the boys were doing allowed us to make our time together as a couple and with them and as a family a priority over everything else. This decision part of, solved part of the time together problem and gave us more chances for our couch time, but it didn't cure my obsession with work at Watermark. After about nine months of me working all the time at the office then jumping back in at night after the boys went down, Michelle looked at me one evening and just announced, this is not what I signed up for. What she was frankly saying is, I liked you better as a lawyer. Uh, and that was really a wake-up call for me, as it reminded me Michelle did not just want my presence in our home. She wanted my attention and my affection, and that was not happening as I was obsessing over my role at Watermark. Thankfully for me, with the help of our community, with the staff team that I worked for, we worked through these challenges, and we developed a plan that protected our couch time and still allowed me to be faithful in my job. One of the things this couch time modeled for our boys over the years was that our marriage was the most important relationship in our family. The boys knew that we loved them dearly and considered them a gift to us, but they knew that Rick and I loved each other in a different way. We wanted to model this for them so they strive for this in their own marriages someday. Rick leads our home well in the way he loves me and he cares for me. When they were younger, he would tell the boys, I love you, but I love your mom more. They understood that he didn't have a lesser love for them, but a different one reflecting God's call to love me more deeply than his sons. I love the verse from 1 Peter 4, 8 that says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And isn't that what we want to be about, loving our spouse deeply? Isn't that what we want our kids to see? Apart from Christ, there is nothing good in me, absolutely nothing. Rick is married to a sinner just like him. And when I love Rick the way Christ wants me to love, it is so much bigger than the way that I want to love. I'm so thankful for the way he continues to love me in spite of who I am. So 12 years ago, when we made this talk the first time, as Michelle and I met with Susan Cox, who was one of the original re-engaged leaders in preparation for the first time we talked, one of her questions for us was about our spiritual walk. In some ways, that question was easy, and the answer was very predictable. Michelle and I have both spent a lot of time before and during our marriage alone in God's Word, being discipled, discipling others, taking advantage of the many opportunities to be equipped at Watermark and other outside ministries like BSF. But we would both say we have strong relationships with the Lord, and we can see how much stronger our relationship is when we are abiding with Christ. John 15, 5 reminds us that He is the vine and that we are the branches, and apart from Him, we can do nothing. I don't know of any area of my life where this verse rings more true than in my marriage. For us to love each other well in spite of our shortcomings is really nothing short of miraculous. And we've found during our marriage that when we are not abiding individually with Christ, we suffer both as an individual and as a couple, and our boys suffer as well. But I hate to say abiding as a couple has always been but I hate to say abiding as a couple has always been a weakness for our marriage. In almost twenty seven years of marriage, We've never really found that secret sauce of spiritual intimacy that we would desire. We pray together. We pray with our boys as a family. We talk about what we're learning in God's word and our separate quiet times and studies. We grab prayer when something specific pops up, but we've never been as consistent as we would like in spending time in God's word or in prayer away from our kids. 
So, I, so if you ask me where we always are trying to take ground, this would be the area I would list first. The need to pray together for our marriage, for our kids, for their friends, their future wives. The lost folks God's put in our path only grows as time passes. We want to show you another picture. While the first picture we showed depicted the craziness of life when we let the world control our home, boys and their lives, boys and their lives in the middle and us on the outside. This picture of our now grown-up family shows the perspective we tried for and wanted for all those years ago. Our marriage is at the center of this family. The kids are the addition. Rick and I create oneness by spending time together. As a wife, I'm drawn to Rick when I spend time with him. I feel like we're deeply connected as we share our hearts with each other. Now, one last picture to show where we are today. As Rick mentioned earlier, our youngest son left for, uh, our youngest son Ben left for college in August, and so now we're empty nesters. As we drove home from dropping Ben off at Auburn, it hit us that while over the years we have given this talk a half a dozen times of helping couples listening with some of our lessons learned, we now see that the real benefit of applying these principles comes once the kids are gone. Prioritizing our marriage was certainly a good thing to do as our boys grew up. But it is now the payoff, but now the payoff is even more evident as we look ahead. Couch time has really been about preparing us for life after kids as a husband and wife rather than only our life with kids as a married couple. All the time for the past 15 years we spent focused on our relationship has ensured that we're still best friends who enjoy time together rather than a couple that wonders what the next stage for our marriage will look like when our child leaves home. So no matter how we plan this out, whenever we have a chance to tell our story, there's always a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. There are folks in this room uh, that know us, uh, there are folks in this room that know us thinking that you guys have left a lot out of this story. That's because they know the imperfections we both brought to marriage. They know our character and our personalities. They know how I've often been known far more for my sarcastic humor than being a man after God's own heart. Uh, how being short-tempered and sharp-toned with my family, uh, my boys especially, most likely is, is my most likely form of communication some days. And they'd say Michelle can be too much of a people pleaser, that she struggles to admit fault with me. I say all that to make you understand that we are very imperfect people, but our hope is in our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm almost seven years older than Michelle. I often tell people that I believe God prepared me to marry her by helping me mature during my 20s and early 30s. If we'd been the same age and met in our 20s, Michelle would not have been drawn to me because my life looked nothing like Christ. Uh, Likewise, uh, uh, there it is. Church was a sunny obligation, not a daily relationship, excuse me. Likewise, I suspect I would have found her just a little bit too nice for my taste. I would have mistaken her gentle heart and her selfless, other-centered nature for someone who is just a goody-goody, not a Christ lover. But in spite of what we would call God's perfect timing for connecting us, in spite of the great pre-marriage counseling we received, and in spite of being surrounded in Dallas by great role models for marriage, we would still tell you that it takes hard work to make our marriage relationship a priority. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about marriage for a whole chapter. In verse 28, he reminds reminds the folks in Corinth and us that those who marry will face trouble in this life. Paul knew that if you put two self-centered people together under one roof for an extended period of time, there was going to be hard days and maybe some hard years. Michelle and I are no different than most of you. We brought a lifetime of baggage into our marriage in 1996. 
The formula for trouble that Paul talked about was there from the beginning. No matter what you do over the course of your marriage, guess what? That baggage is going to get unloaded. And what you do with the contents is what's going to determine the fate of your marriage. For us, we decided that we were going to be cycle breakers from our family histories, mostly mine, of separation, isolation, and not following Christ. It meant looking to God's word and his people for wise counsel. What it meant practically was ordering our lives in such a way that God was first, marriage was second, our boys were third, and everything else came after them. Also, it meant sometimes, guess what, our boys were disappointed or angry because we would not put their wants and desires over our relationship. The pastor who married us told me that my most important job as a husband was to cherish Michelle. I did not take that, that advice lightly, nor do I take it, did I take it for granted. I am regularly asking Michelle, how am I doing as a husband? Posing the simple question, do you feel cherished to her? So if you hear nothing else tonight, hear us say that this will always be work for us and it will be for you too. Couch time is nothing more than a metaphor for spending our lives together. But the message that it delivered is that we love each other above all else and that nothing else will come between us. So no matter where you are in your marriage, I want to encourage you by reminding you that God knew how hard this journey would be and he's anxious to help your marriage be one that honors him. In John 16, Christ says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When we look at our marriage, we see a story that is more consistent than compelling. We've been consistent in not settling for less than what God desires marriage to be, nothing more, nothing less. So as we close, the best we can do is leave you with a few suggestions that might help you in your pursuit. First, we want to encourage you, it's never too late to, be the, to break the cycle of your family history in your own, own marriage by making your own couch time each day. Second, for many of you, the first step in that cycle breaking may be as simple as changing the focus of the first 15 minutes you spend together. Third, this is often the time of year that families with kids are making decisions about priorities for the year ahead. The temptation to make all those kids' activities the focal point of your home will be there. We would urge you to not let that happen. Your marriage is the most important relationship uh, that you're in your home, and your kids will be blessed when you prioritize it. And finally, above all else, we encourage you to abide with Christ and with others who share his vision for marriage. Absent an intimate walk with the Lord, community to help along the way, this will be very difficult to change and implement. Thank you so much for listening.